0: Today's show is brought to you by Squarespace. Start building your website today at squarespace.com. Enter offer code UNIVERSE at checkout to get 10% off. And by Audible. Audible has over 180,000 audiobooks and spoken word audio products. Get a free 30-day trial at audible.com slash universe. <laughs> History did not record what Venetia Burney had for breakfast on the morning of March 14, 1930. That's not to say history hasn't noted the breakfast all the same. Indeed, it celebrated it. Venetia was at the breakfast table in her Oxford, England home with her mother and her grandfather. He was a man with the wonderful name Falconer Madden. He had had an equally wonderful career as head librarian of the 300-year-old Oxford University Library. Madden was leafing through the Times of London as he ate and reached page 14, where something caught his eye. He read the first paragraph of the little 16-line item aloud to his daughter and his granddaughter. The Lowell Observatory in Flagstaff, Arizona has discovered a ninth major planet, he read. The planet, which has not yet been named, is beyond Neptune. It is probably larger than the Earth, but smaller than Uranus. Madden then asked the little girl a question. What would she name the brand new world if it were up to her? She answered almost immediately. Why not call it Pluto, she said. And why not, indeed? Madden passed the suggestion on to Herbert Hall Turner, a professor of astronomy at Oxford, who happened to be in London for a meeting of the Royal Astronomical Society. Turner promptly responded, I think Pluto excellent, he wrote, adding an exceedingly un-British flourish of three exclamation points to the line. We did not think of anything so good at the Astronomical Society yesterday. Turner, in turn, sent a telegram to the Lowell Observatory. It was Clyde Tombaugh, an amateur astronomer working there, who had found the new planet, and so he, or more precisely, his employers, had the naming rights. Turner's telegram was phrased succinctly, Naming new planet. Please consider Pluto. Suggested by small girl Venetia Burney for dark and gloomy planet. The Arizona astronomers agreed. Pluto, as the Roman god of the underworld, fit the mythological naming traditions and indeed seemed suited for a shadow world so far from the lighthouse of the sun. What's more, the first two letters of the name, P.L., happened to be the initials of Percival Lowell, the founder of the observatory. The astronomers voted overwhelmingly for Venetia Burney's suggestion the leading contenders, Zeus, Atlas, and Persephone, didn't get a single vote. Straight away, the public swooned for little Pluto. At less than 1,500 miles across, barely the distance from Washington, D.C. to Denver, Colorado, it was easily the smallest, cuddliest planet in the solar system. It was lonely, too. Up to 4.6 billion miles away, were 50 times more distant than Earth. Its orbit was strange, tilted 17 degrees to the overall plane of the solar system, and so egg-shaped that at its closest approach it actually comes inside Neptune's orbit. Pluto was just the kind of hard luck oddball it was impossible to resist. Pluto was on the front page of most of the world's great newspapers. The New York Times went beyond the reserve of the London Times, practically falling in love. It described the planet as, quote, "...way out beyond Neptune, tagging bashfully behind its brothers." Hollywood fawned, too, with 29-year-old cartoonist Walt Disney immediately borrowing the name to give to a lovable dog he'd just sketched out that he was about to introduce as the cartoon companion of a mouse he'd created the year before. It was all good while it lasted, but it didn't last long. In 2006, only 76 years after the New World was welcomed into the planetary boardroom, it was summarily dismissed, stripped of its title as a planet, busted down to dwarf planet, and sent packing. There had been only eight seats at the great solar system table before, and there would be only eight again. The demotion made a kind of cold, unromantic sense. In 1992, astronomers discovered the Kuiper Belt, a band of comets and other rocky, icy bodies surrounding the solar system beyond the orbit of Neptune. Pluto, they concluded, was just one Kuiper Belt object that had happened to break free. Already, other Kuiper objects, roughly the same size, were being discovered. If you called Pluto a planet, then you opened the door to all manner of cosmic rabble. Better to stick with the big eight planets, create a new category for all of the wannabes, and be done with it. While astronomers considered the solar system's planetary roster closed, the solar system itself didn't agree. In early 2016, a pair of Caltech astronomers unleashed a cosmic bombshell. While studying the Kuiper Belt, they noticed six objects that cluster together and orbit in tandem in a way that makes no gravitational sense. The only way it could make sense would be if there were another massive planet out there whose gravity was somehow hurting the smaller objects. Planet Nine had been discovered. News of the New World didn't quite break the internet, but almost. The planet would have to be 10 times more massive than Earth and orbit the Sun at a distance 20 times greater than Neptune's. And while it's true that no one has seen it yet, there was a time when no one had seen Uranus or Neptune either, but that didn't stop astronomers from noticing the influence they were having on the planets closer to the Sun. Modern astronomy flatters itself that it's ready to study the deep cosmos, and in many ways it is. Telescopes peer billions of light years into the void, and in doing so, peer billions of temporal years into the past. But the doings in our own cosmic neighborhood, on our own cosmic block, continue to surprise us. It's at the frontiers that the biggest mysteries may lurk. A meteoroid is transformed into a meteor upon entering the Earth's atmosphere. Otherwise known as a shooting star, the meteor emits a streak of light that is quite stunning during a clear night. Create a website that stands out like a shooting star with Squarespace. With drag-and-drop tools and customizable features, Squarespace makes it easy to design a website that fits all your needs. Squarespace offers modern templates to help you create a site that looks professionally designed, regardless of skill level. No coding required. Plus, you get a free domain if you sign up for a year. Start your free trial today at squarespace.com. When you decide to sign up for Squarespace, make sure to use the offer code UNIVERSE to get 10% off your first purchase. The universe is active and in constant motion. We can't slow down the pace of the cosmos, much like our own busy lives here on Earth. When you're finding yourself unable to take a break, let Audible entertain you. Audible has more than 180,000 audiobooks and spoken word audio products of all different genres to choose from. Take Audible wherever you go, listening on your smartphone, computer, or tablet. Listen to such books as Rocket Man by Craig Nelson, a richly detailed and dramatic account of one of the greatest achievements of humankind, Rocket Man is the thrilling story of the moon mission of Apollo 11. Through interviews, CIA documents, and oral histories, Nelson creates a vivid and detailed account of the mission and takes readers into the cockpit and behind the scenes at mission control. As a special offer to my listeners, you can get a free 30-day trial today by signing up at audible.com universe. That's audible.com universe. The Kuiper Belt may be the wilderness of the solar system, a place unexplored by ships from Earth, even as trips to destinations like Mars and Venus and the Moon have become familiar. But Pluto a Kuiper Belt defector offered a way into this distant portion of our solar system. You can't learn everything about a mysterious nation by talking to a single refugee, but you can learn a lot. In 2006, a mission to Pluto, which had been talked about within the corridors of NASA for more than a generation, at last got underway as the New Horizons spacecraft was launched. The ship would travel faster than any spacecraft before it, speeding along in excess of 36,000 miles per hour. But even then, it would still need nine years to make the trip. The rendezvous with Pluto did occur on July 14, 2015, exactly the day and exactly the same time of day the mission navigators had predicted nearly a decade earlier. But if the arrival was precisely executed, it was also impossibly fleeting. The Cassini probe has been orbiting Saturn for nearly 12 years, and the Galileo probe before it circled Jupiter for more than 8 years. Unlike those, New Horizons would simply be flying by its target world. The closest it would get would be a full 7,800 miles above the Plutonian treetops, or it would be if Pluto had trees. But the art of taking pictures and readings from a speeding spacecraft is an awful lot more advanced than taking vacation photos from a speeding car, and New Horizons returned a gusher of complex data and full-color portraits. Far and away, the finest, happiest, most fitting feature New Horizons discovered on Pluto is the giant, heart-shaped surface marking that dominates most of an entire hemisphere. Romantics couldn't have scripted it better. Greeting card companies couldn't have drawn it better. The dwarf planet nearly everybody loves turns out to love us in return. And if that's just anthropomorphic silliness, attributing warm, fuzzy feelings to a stone-dead ball of dirt and rock and ice, well, it's our anthropomorphic silliness, and we were going to enjoy it. The giant heart formation was promptly dubbed Tombaugh Regio, after Pluto's discoverer, and the western lobe of it was dubbed Sputnik Planum, after the first artificial satellite. Once the New Horizons scientists shook off the same sappy smiles everybody else was wearing, they fell in love with Tombaugh Regio for other reasons. Take the floating mountains, for instance. Data and images not fully analyzed until eight months after the flyby revealed mountain peaks rising as high as 3.1 miles over the Plutonian surface. On Earth, with a diameter five times greater than Pluto's, that would be the equivalent of a mountain 16.5 miles high, or three times taller than Mount Everest. While earthly mountains are capped by ice, Pluto's pretty much are ice, which, with surface temperatures averaging 380 degrees below zero, is not going to melt anytime soon. Lying beneath is a bedrock of nitrogen and carbon monoxide ice, and since they're denser than water ice, the mountains float on them like icebergs on water. Wherever you go in the solar system, the physics of float won't change, even if the chemistry behind it does. Pluto has one large moon, Charon, and four smaller moons, bits of rubble really, none larger than 27 miles across, named Styx, Nix, Kerberos, and Hydra. Charon is about half the size of its ostensible parent Pluto, and astronomers broadly think of them more as a binary system than a single world and a single satellite. Indeed, Charon doesn't even technically orbit Pluto. Rather, both worlds are tidally locked with the same side of each always facing the other, frozen in an orbital dance in which they spin around a center of gravity situated somewhere between them. New Horizons found that both bodies, whatever you call them, are home to so-called ice volcanoes, phenomena that are every bit as pretty and fanciful as they sound. Water beneath the surface of Pluto and Charon is kept warm, either by heat from decaying radioactive elements in the core, or by gravitational flexing, or both. Now and again, accumulated heat and pressure cause the water to burst into the sky and settle back down in a spangly, crystalline geyser. That phenomenon has been observed and photographed on Saturn's moon Enceladus. New Horizons didn't see active geysers on Pluto or Charon, but it didn't have to. Portions of the surface of both worlds are bright white and almost unmarred by craters, which means that they are very young by geological measures, only several million years old, having been resurfaced periodically by the icy eruptions. Long fissures in Pluto's surface also hint at an active interior. As portions of what might be a global ocean have frozen and expanded, They've ripped open the rind of the world at the places of greatest stress. But if there are frozen layers of ocean, there also might be liquid layers, too, kept eternally warm by the same radiation and flexing that causes the geysers. Some astronomers suspect an ocean anywhere from 60 to 100 miles deep at the boundary between the planet's core and mantle. Water, warmth, and the right chemistry could, at least in theory, be all that's necessary for Plutonian life. Just how the pluto charon system formed is unclear, though the betting is that the pairing was born in violence. Like Pluto, Sharon is also an escaped Kuiper Belt object, and at some point in their solitary wanderings, the two exiles may have collided with each other and settled down into their permanent gravitational clinch the crowd of little moons would be the products of that collision. At least 60% of the data that New Horizons beamed back has not yet been analyzed, so there's much more to come. But no matter what the studies yield, one thing is certain. It'll be 100% more than we know for sure about the theorized Planet Nine. The gravitational equations and computer simulations that led the Caltech researchers to conclude that the planet must be out there seem like awfully insubstantial things on which to pin the existence of a world with ten times the mass of our own world. But when the equations and simulations are this good, it's hard to argue with them. The six small Kuiper Belt worlds that the planet appears to be influencing occupy roughly the same point in the imaginary clock face that surrounds the solar system. Moreover, their orbit is also inclined at the same 30 degree angle relative to the flat plane of the solar system. The matching angle has only a 1% likelihood of happening by chance. The matching spots on the clock face have only a 0.7 chance. Combine the two, and there is just a 0.007% likelihood that the phenomenon could occur without the existence of a planet of precisely the mass and distance that the equations predict. In other words, it's 99.993% certain that the planet is out there. As with Uranus, Neptune, and Pluto itself, nothing will be confirmed until the mysterious planet is actually seen. To hasten that day, the Caltech team has published Planet 9's predicted orbital path and encouraged astronomers, both amateurs and professionals, around the world to start the hunt. Certainly, scouring every point on a great orbital circle with a radius reaching 56 billion miles into space is not an easy thing. But with every telescope on Earth invited to pitch in, There are only so many places a planet can hide. It's impossible to say with any certainty what unknowns lie beyond the solar system's knowns. The Voyager 1 probe is said to have left the solar system behind and entered the true deep waters of interstellar space. But that's a little like saying that once you swim halfway across the Hudson River, you've left New York City. Take a glance around you. Does it really look like you've gone anywhere at all? Yes, Voyager 1 is beyond the heliopause. That's the point at which the faint outward push of the solar wind is at last overpowered by the hydrogen and helium of the interstellar medium. But it hasn't yet reached the Kuiper Belt, which extends another 2 billion miles past Pluto. And even that's not all. Once you pass the Kuiper Belt, you still must pass through the theorized Oort Cloud, which is a spherical swarm of icy bodies that surround the solar system. At its closest, the Oort Cloud is 1,000 times farther away than the Kuiper Belt, so distant that you need to convert from miles to light years for the units of measure to make sense. Compared to those vast structures, A pipsqueak world like Pluto isn't much, and even a bruiser like Planet Nine is little better. But both are emissaries of the solar system's most distant places, and both have a lot to tell us. It may take a long time before humanity itself can venture out of the solar system. Until then, the worlds we do discover must be our messengers from the deep. I'm Jeffrey Kluger. Follow me on Twitter at Jeffrey Kluger. Join me next time when we explore the marble bag of moons that decorate the planets in our solar system. I'm Jeffrey Kluger. Follow me on Twitter at Jeffrey Kluger. This is Time Magazine's podcast, It's Your Universe, produced by Panoply.